0: Outdoor Edge in their complete lineup of knives and game processing kits. These guys right now are doing an absolutely huge giveaway where you could win an elk hunt. And not just any elk hunt. We're talking about a 7 or 8 mile horseback ride into the backcountry. We're talking a one-on-one guided hunt. Go to outdooredge.com. There's going to be a big banner for it somewhere on their homepage. All you have to do is click on that, go fill out some information. I think your name, your email address, maybe some other stuff. And that's all you have to do. That's how you are entered. They're going to be picking a winner, oh, a ways from now. So you have plenty of time to enter. Go visit outdooredge.com. Sign up today. Here we go. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles Podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles Podcast. (laughs) My name is Dan Johnson, and I am your host, and I'm jacked up. Number one, because it's Friday. Number two, because this Hunter Profile podcast is badass. I tell you, one of the best parts about doing these podcasts is being able to talk with people of all different shapes and sizes and colors and uh, regions where they live, whether it's in the United States, whether it's not in the United States, whether it's from Iowa locally or whether it's from Washington or Maine or Florida or California or wherever. And the, the thing that really gets me fired up is similar to this podcast that you're about to listen to, is when I leave the conversation feeling excited, feeling motivated, feeling happy, feeling, uh, just feeling positive. Because I know that there is somebody out there that is just like me who gets fired up about nature, who gets fired up about being outdoors and hunting and bow hunting specifically, and that is what we're going to be talking about today. We have today's guest is Lucy, and her last name is Lindley, Lucy Lindley, and she is a passionate bow hunter, and she shares some crazy stories about living in Alaska, and how she was raised and all these awesome things that led her right even even a little break where she focused on her career kind of put hunting to the side and then eventually nature the outdoors and hunting came back to her and here we are having a conversation on this podcast about one person's love for the outdoors and for hunting and for bow hunting and for nature and i keep repeating myself because i'm fired up all right so it's an awesome hunter profile podcast and uh that's what we're going to talk that's what we're doing today but you know as always i got to do a commercial Wasparchery.com is where you can find some of the most badass broadheads and every, every time I do these commercials, I really have to try to find different ways and things to talk about a broadhead. But I, I'm the kind of guy that likes to keep it simple. And here's how I'm going to keep it simple. They have material that is literally the best material that you can get to build a broadhead, okay? That's the first thing. The second thing is... So yeah, I'm a fan of the Jackhammer. I'm a fan of the Boss 4-Blade. Those are my two go-to broadheads from Wasp. One is Fixed, one is Mechanical. And those are both made in America. So when you have this made in America, you have the best materials. What you're sending downrange to kill an animal is some of the best material made by Americans, right so it's just a win-win win-win and uh, I, I love their brand I love the people that work for their company I love using their products and I feel confident when I use their products because blood trails are short if I make a good shot and even if I don't make a good shot guess what that broadhead is doing a lot of damage so that I will more than likely recover that animal at some point so even on marginal shots is what I'm getting at. So here's the deal. 20% discount, nine fingers, 2020. I believe that's what it is here. Nine fingers, 2020. Go to wasparchery.com. Take a look at all their fixed blades, all their mechanical blades and, uh, check out their full lineup. And use the discount code 9FINGERS2020 and save 20% off your purchase. Good luck this season to everybody. Um, and be sure that you tag Wasp whenever you post your trophy uh, photo because they love seeing that stuff. So uh, enough of the talking. Let's get into more talking on today's Hunter Profile podcast. Enjoy. In three, two, one. All right, on the phone with me today, Miss Lucy Lindley. How are you doing?
1: Hey, Dan, doing good. How about you?
0: All right, I want to ask you a question. How, but I got to get, first off, before I ask you this question, where are you from?
1: I'm from Birmingham, Alabama, but uh, I live in Nashville, Tennessee.
0: Okay, all right, so Tennessee's already started then, right?
1: It did. We have, this is the third year they've done it. It's a three day velvet hunt. Okay. Um, it's the last weekend in August.
0: Okay. So, I, my first question to you was going to be how jacked are, up are you for the upcoming season? But it sounds like your season has already started. So, my first question is have you gotten the opportunity to get out and do some tree stand time yet?
1: Yeah, I did. So being, it's kind of a, it's kind of a teaser only getting Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then they close it back down until September 26th. So I did get out, I hunted all weekend. Uh, Hurricane Laura really messed up the pattern. It was, we thought we had some bucks patterned and it's for Tennessee. I know most people probably don't know this, this velvet hunt, it's bucks only and it's archery only. Okay. So there's no does taken, um, yeah, art and it's private land only. So, um, I think it's kind of interesting. They did that. Don't necessarily agree with the private land thing, but, um, so yeah, I got a lot of tree fan time and a lot of just sitting there watching it rain time.
0: Oh yeah. I, you know, it, it sucks when you have your high, your hopes up for a certain hunt, whether it's for a week or it's for, I mean, cause I had my, uh, hopes up really for an elk hunt a couple of years ago and then it just got hot. And then there was no elk, you know, bugling or anything. And you just, you're just a little disappointed when reality sets in. Um, What was it like for you, you know, having your hopes up for this three day hunt and then sitting in rain the whole time?
1: Yeah, it was, it was a real bummer because as we all know, bucks and velvet, we can usually pattern them pretty good, you know, at least have a, a, a very educated idea of. Where they're feeding, where they're bedding, and kind of catch them in between or, you know, right at early light or, you know, right there at dusk. So the, the wind just was swirling all weekend, and uh, the three of us who hunt the property that I do, we decided that it wasn't really worth screwing up some big deer just to try and see what happens. Yeah. So we kind of played it safe. It didn't hunt any mornings, um, you know, because they're usually in there you know, four or five o'clock in the morning, and you're not going to get in a tree at 3.30 in the morning and just sit for three hours until the sun comes up. Yeah. Um, yeah. And every afternoon it was raining. So it was a pretty bummer. Uh, the first year we had velvet, I killed my biggest buck ever. So I'm pretty spoiled with that, and I haven't drawn back on a velvet buck since. Okay. Um, you only get two tags here, um, so it really kind of takes one out early. It kind of really changes your season when you kill one in August. Then yeah. you kind of just wait around for the rut to see what you can find. Um, but it's super fun to get in the stand in August. We all are in a text chain just being like, it is so hot. I cannot <laughs> believe we're sitting in a deer stand right now.
0: <laughs> right, right. Man, I'll tell you what. I have often thought about having the, a three day, two day, whatever type of velvet season in iowa now don't get me wrong like where i where i'm at in my life i'm not interested in shooting velvet animals for some reason i for some reason it just doesn't connect with me but i think it would be cool if the state offered it uh like just for the last week in august get them in velvet you get the opportunity to go out and hunt them and then it closes back down again no additional tags are allocated it's just if you harvest a deer in that time frame guess what you're done for the year you know what i mean you're you you use yeah. whatever archery tag that is. So, um, is how how new did you say this was for the state of Tennessee?
1: This is the third year um, that they've done it. So I think they were trying to compete with Kentucky. I think they open up like September fifth, maybe this weekend, yeah, I think or the right. or next weekend, yeah. Um, and it's gotten a lot of popularity. I mean, a non-resident can come just buy a tag. You know, there's no draw. So, um, if you know someone or if you could get access to some private land, you can come hunt a velvet deer and archery here. You know, you could come hunt the farm I do, you know, so they really make it where they want to draw people to maybe do something early in the season that might generate some revenue and get people excited to hunt Tennessee.
0: Yeah. Well, the fact that, you know, I would, uh. My wife, if I said I'm going to Nashville to hunt deer, she would be like, well, you're <laughs> taking me with you because she loves she loves going to Nashville. Uh, she loves that town. Yeah. And it's pretty cool. So, you know, with you living in Nashville, is this a, uh, like, a suburb-type hunt, or do you leave the city to go out into the, like, a bigger property to hunt? Yeah,
1: no, um, so I have permission on... To, they're pretty much family friends farms. Uh, I go west, so okay. get on forty. It's about it's about an hour outside of town. I got you. Um, so, but there there isn't there is urban hunting here, but it's you got to have some pretty big tracks. So no, but we all kind of hunt farms and little pieces of property here and there.
0: Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Okay, all right. So, um, I kind of want to go all the way back to the very beginning. Uh, for you and ask you the question that I ask a lot of people and that is do you come from a hunting or an outdoors family
1: I do actually um, so grew up hunting grew up fishing my dad is a huge hunter I mean and my mom did as well um, she actually used to bow hunt and there's at our family farm in Alabama. There's a point on the wall. And every time I go down there, I'm just like, mom, you kill that with a boat? Like, what in the world? (laughs) Um, And I mean, there are stories of me and my little brother sleeping in, you know, a shooting house when we were three years old. So we kind of just got tagged along. And so it was just a part of the way we grew up. It was never anything out of the ordinary. It was almost weird if we didn't go to the farm on Friday and come back on Sunday. We did that every weekend until I was in high school.
0: Yeah. So So, you were in Grew up in
1: a hunting family. Oh, yeah.
0: Okay. So, you know, with that said, right, I mean, is it just you? Are you and your brother, just the two of you? How old are you? How many years apart are you guys?
1: Yeah, so we're only two years apart. And I do have two older sisters, and they never gave anything about it. Okay. They kind of didn't do anything outdoors. They were kind of more into their friends and going to the lake and stuff like that. And they... No, one of them's never even shot a gun. And the other one, I think she shot a, a couple does here and there throughout the time of just going to the farm, yeah. but they're, they're about 10 years older than me. But okay. so me and my little brother, we just, we were like my dad's little shadows.
0: I gotcha. So did they, was this like a, a like a two different families that merged into one and then you and your brother were born or same mom and dad, same everything?
1: Yeah, so my two older sisters, um, we all have the same dad. Okay. So my mom, yeah. So my mom, so I guess I credit my mom. She, you know, grew up in a really small town and her whole families and cousins, they hunted and fished their whole lives too. So her and my dad, just, I think that's kind of how they kind of blended together. Their actual, my dad on their first date, he took her alligator hunting. I mean, it's pretty, <laughs> some, that, that's some Alabama stuff right there, huh?
0: That's right. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of funny. Um, how a little change in an environment can make kind of a world of different difference when it comes to you know uh, your dad who has been an outdoor enthusiast his whole life, right? Has two other children that just didn't fall in love with it like you and your brother did. Yeah, you know what I mean.
1: Exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: So it's very interesting.
1: They, but they always ask, like, did you all have fun this weekend? And we always said, yeah, but they and they were always invited. They just never chose to.
0: Right. Right. What do you think the reason for that was just different personalities or was there a, a slight change in the environment between your dad raising them versus your dad raising you and your brother?
1: I think honestly, because so my my brother being his only son. And you know, in his last kid. I think that looking back, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty, but you know, I grew up a little tomboy too and he just drugged me my I was like, you know, my brother's little sidekick. Yeah. And my brother he was just obsessed with well, you know, everything hunting and we just did me, I voted mean, everything together.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Where
1: maybe the other you know, the other two they were more into cheerleading and sports and, you know, academics where we just Did sports and went hunting.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes uh, that can make a a world of difference. But it sounds to me like, you know, your dad was kind of the 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 was was your dad the the role player in your love and in your guys's passion for the outdoors, or did your mom play a part in that as well?
1: Oh, my dad was absolutely the catalyst, and my mom just loved to be outside too. You know, she would always whether she would go hunting or not. She was always at at the farm, you know, excited for what we did or couldn't wait to tell a story. But it was my dad who was like, hey, come on, let's go. You're going or hey, you're going to learn to shoot this or these, you know, teaching us the little things, you know, even the safety aspects, you know, of growing up around around guns and around, you know, knives and trucks and four wheelers. You know, he was always the one that's like, hey, you're going to learn this so you can so you can do it on your own one day and teach somebody else.
0: Yeah. That's uh, very cool because, you know, from a stereotype kind of environment, the, the, the girl doesn't get the same opportunities that the, the boy does, you know, if that makes sense. Like, right. well, you're a boy, sure. so you're coming with me. The girl gets to stay home with mom and do the, the girl things. So it's cool that right. he included you and there was no real uh, separation, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, no, not at all. I'm the one that was always begging, like, hey, Dad, can I go? Can I go? Can I go?
0: And, of course, he said yes, right?
1: Oh, every time. Every yeah. time. The only, the only time he wouldn't was, I think, the first weekend of the rut in Alabama. He'd have boys weekend, and I don't think I'd want to go that weekend either. But no <laughs> one could go. So right. It was just him and his friends.
0: <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Right, right. There's some things that kids uh, can go do, and then there's some things that you probably don't want your kids to go do.
1: Exactly. Right.
0: Yep. Right. So as you and your brother started to grow up and start to do, you know, tag along with your dad, um, did, was there a period of time where you kind of transitioned away from the hunting aspect and was like, you know what, uh, maybe I'm going to go do some girl things, or maybe I'm going to go, you know, have that social life or, you know, cause, or, or play sports, which a lot of people do.
1: Yeah, actually, um, I never steered away from it. I ran out of time. Uh, so I did play college basketball. And so from about seventh grade till no, till I was 22 years old, you know, basketball was my life. Um, and anytime in between that, I would, you know, still hunting or fishing. But, you know, the time just gets away from me. You can't do everything. Um, and so I more got into turkey hunting because in the fall I just played basketball, but in the spring I could, you know, turkey hunt or we'd go out west on a fly fishing trip. Um, so in high school and then after college, I got back into being just totally obsessed. Okay. When I could manage my own time.
0: So, like, I wish I could talk, I, I wish I could talk to a lot more pro athletes. Um, you talk to someone, man, there's a lot of them out there who are, who are fanatics about, uh, you know, especially football players or maybe even baseball players, depending on how far they go into the season. But, you know, as far as athletes are concerned, they have to dedicate their life to their sport if they want to be good. Was there a time where you were just like, dude, I miss hunting really bad?
1: Oh, all the time, because where I played college, I played at Troy University, which is in southern Alabama. Our farm was about 45 minutes away. So it wasn't like I was logistically far from something that I love to do. And I was notorious for skipping out on a Sunday afternoon just to go right around on the roads, just even just get on a four-wheeler if I didn't have time to hunt. Um, but I just, there was a time, because you just, there's no way you could, you work, You dedicated yourself to a sport, and that, you know, paid for my college and education, and you just, if there was enough time in the day, of course I would have done it. And I did think about it, and I did miss hunting, you know, get texts and calls from my brother and my dad, and, you know, I was in a hotel room in middle of nowhere playing basketball.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, you kind of stepped away from it, or... It took a backseat to another passion, and, you know, you yep. you did the basketball thing, and so you got out of college. How old are you now?
1: I'm 33.
0: Okay, 33. So, it's been, what, 11 years now since you've, I guess, uh, put the, hung the shoes up, so to speak? Yep. Okay. I sure did. All yeah, right. 22. 22. All right, so, so once you got done playing basketball in collegiate sports, did you... Fall instantly back into the 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 series, taken hunting serious again.
1: Yeah, I did after college. You know, being and I'm sure other Division one athletes. I think everyone tries to find their identity again after sports. Um, you know, that was my life. That's who everyone knew me as. You know, a basketball player. Um, and then once it's over, you kind of have to figure out what am I going to do now? Who do I want to be? what's important to me and i decided to i found a job posting on Kodiak Island Alaska for a commercial <laughs> salmon fishing outfit
0: no doubt
1: and and i packed my things said good i i you know i'm from Alabama i went to school in Alabama i traveled out west a couple times but i said you know what i'm going to Alaska and i left uh, so I moved to Alaska when I was 22. I went in April and I stayed until November okay. and I, and I absolutely fell in love with just the wild adventure of the West. Yeah. Um, I worked on a little bay out, it's called Mosier Bay on Kodiak, on the South end of Kodiak Island. And the family, I worked for a husband and a wife there in their sixties and he is, he was Alaska resident. And he got me back in to hunting and fishing like like my own dad did. I mean, I shot a stick of blacktail, I saw grizzly bears. you know, I got so addicted to the wildness of hunting and the outdoors and just how much you can the more the food aspect of it, everything yeah. that we ate we caught or killed yeah you know i I grew up in a suburb. We didn't have to eat venison. We chose to. Yeah. So that really ignited the, wow, this is something that's in me that will never go away, and how can I make this a part of my life?
0: Man, that's awesome. You know, I made a lot of, I'll I'll just say this, I made a lot of bad decisions in my life, and I think listening to a story like that, I don't want to say makes me regret the decisions that I've made over my life, but it really makes me wish I would have chose a a different path because I hear you're not the first person who said, you know what, screw it. I'm going to Alaska and I'm going to find a job up there and I'm going to support myself just so I can go and hunt and do these, you know, do this adventure or, you know, I'm going to sleep in my van out in uh, the Western part of the United States for a year and that's how I'm going to, you know, do my thing. So to hear you say that I get, I almost get goosebumps because I I wish I would have done that, or I wish I could do that. And now I'm, you know, that time of my life is passed. I have other priorities and stuff. So when you were, when you were out there, did you, you know, working and doing that, did you ever get to tag along on some of his hunts that this guy went on?
1: Yeah, I did. I did. He took, he showed me, I mean, growing up and I'm sure a lot of people that grew up, you know, in the South or the Midwest, you know, my, I, I could clean a deer hanging on a line. Sure but I never knew how to field dress a deer or, you know, look for sign. I mean, we sat in shooting houses and tree stands, you know, to find, to, we never learned how to glass. I didn't even know what that was. Yeah. And he, he showed me so many things about the West and you've been out West. You sit on top of a peak or a valley or, and you just look for hours. Yeah. And I just loved that. And yeah, I mean, he took me on so many, he had a grizzly bear tag and we went grizzly bear hunting. I mean, a Kodiak brown bear. I mean, it's just the things that I did is just, I look back and I, I say the same thing to myself now, you know, having a job, a career, there's no way I could just, you know, go off to Alaska for eight months ever again. It's just not the way the world works. Yeah. But I think about it all the time, the lessons that I learned, you know, how to sharpen a knife. Yeah, You know, little things where there was no gr- – we got our mail by a float plane. You know, <laughs> I mean, there was no grocery store.
0: That, that's um, so cool. And
1: I saw the same two people for eight months. That was it. There's no internet. There's no – we had a satellite phone. I maybe called home twice. Yeah. You know, I and mean, he really – when you're trying to find yourself, and I know I think sometimes it can be over-portrayed as cheesy, but it really is. To get kind of dropped off somewhere at a young age and be like, okay, what's important to me? Oh, it's so cool. But yeah, I mean, hunting out there and seeing him do all these things I had no concept of, just I was just soaking it in. It yeah. was the coolest thing I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like you were you were pretty isolated out there.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, we lived on – I mean, it was – you flew to Kodiak Kodiak on Kodiak Kodiak Island, and then you took a 45-minute float plane to – I mean, you landed in a bay, and there was – the closest neighbor was six miles away. I mean, you just didn't see anyone.
0: Yeah. So what was life for you while you were out there? Obviously, you got to enjoy some hunts, but you, you worked on a commercial fishing boat?
1: So we did set netting, which was for, for salmon, for sockeye salmon. And so we'd set a net on the bank, and it would go out 600 feet into the bay, and it would have all these traps in it that you would set with your net, like a circle or like the, a triangle. And so you would pick up the net through your boat, and you would pick the fish out, and then you'd put it in your boat and you'd drive it to the cannery down, down the bay, which is about an hour ride on the boat. And they'd pick it up and they would process it. And they weighed how much you gave them at the end of the end of the month. You got a check. Well, the, you know, the, the captain did. Yeah. And um, so I didn't, I didn't work on a boat. Um, we, I had a little shack, a little cabin and his wife cooked every meal for us. And me and him, we had four different nets. So all we did was check nets and look at the weather, and we just we worked. I mean, the sun never went down. It'd be two <laughs> o'clock in the morning, and you'd go outside, and it looks like it's two p.m.
0: So how, like, what was your what was your daily routine during that during that period where you were just catching fish?
1: Yeah. So the, the so the Alaska Game and Fish they open and close the season it's based on runs of salmon up at the top where they're spawning so they would sometimes we'd be open for five days where you could commercially catch fish then you could be closed for 10 so during those five days when you're open to fish let's say I mean you're up at three o'clock in the morning and you maybe get back at midnight I mean you're absolutely going 24-7 trying to catch as many fish as you can in those nets And you have to – and so the nets, they would be out all the time. And when – so someone would pick a fish off, put it in the bucket, and then you're you're pressure washing the net because it gets algae on it and the fish can see it. So it's continuous – I mean it's just work, work, work. And then you'd get home, eat dinner, get up, do it all over again. Wow.
0: So basically the food is your energy. If you didn't eat, you'd probably die.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And you just – you just worked but it was there's one of those it, it was so rewarding cuz you look around and you have all these mountains around you and you know there's a brown bear over there you know it kind of breaks up the monotonous of getting through and picking fish and doing all the the hard work or if a boat breaks you know you got to fix it yourself yeah or if a line breaks um and so when it was open you just absolutely worked and worked and worked and then when it was closed you could go fly fishing for the afternoon or go glass for mountain goat, whatever you wanted to do.
0: Yeah. So were you there long enough to become a resident or, or take part in a hunt yourself where you were the hunter?
1: Um, the, so he was a resident and I think this is correct if you're a non-resident, you either have to have a guide, a paid guide, or be with a or hunt with a resident for some species. Um, and so he called Game and Fish, and we got a subsidence tag for me to shoot a blacktail for food. Oh, I think okay. that's probably the only way that I got around not being being a non-resident because I was with a resident, and you get all these subsistence tags for fish for for animals um based on your needs as a unit whether it's your family or your company or just your outfit um so i did get to shoot a sick of blacktail but i went along with him he had a mountain goat tag um he had a brown bear tag and he also had a sick of blacktail tag yeah
0: that's crazy so you got you got to experience alaska or certain parts of alaska
1: yeah i did Mm -hmm.
0: that's awesome the only
1: thing i didn't get to do was uh, one of my dream archery hunts is moose um i did not get to do that because i just i mean by that time i kind of wanted to get back and figure out what 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 was next
0: yeah i feel you uh moose is on my bucket list caribou is on my bucket list i'm not 100 percent sure i mean would i go hunt if i had the opportunity uh, one of those mountain goats or or a sheep yes but as of right now, caribou and moose are on my bucket list in a major way, and I think caribou may be even a little above moose. Although those two animals are are very high on my list of things that I want to go I want to go hunt. Did you? Yeah. Are, are so? Have you been back to Alaska since then? I have not. Not okay. I have so, not. So. When you were, when you were up in Alaska, you mentioned this isolate, you know, like they the only person you would ever see is your, or the the man and the husband and wife that you were working for. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned something earlier about people going to Alaska to find themselves. Like, what did you learn about yourself while you were in Alaska? I,
1: I learned that The life doesn't, you know, like I was mentioning earlier, basketball was my identity. And I learned that I could have another identity and that I was in a place where I could create my own destiny. You know, do I want to stay in Alaska? Did I want to move to New York City? Do I want to make a lot of money? Do I want to have fun? Um, I think I learned to shed the skin of being labeled as a, a college athlete and try and grow into something of what I wanted my life to look like. Um, and I learned you, you need not even half, a third of what we have in today's world. Yeah. You know, technology or, you know, a phone or there's so much to do and occupy your mind and things that challenge you in the simplest of ways, that simple lifestyle. I mean, I still think back to it, you know, something breaks, you call a handyman or you call someone to try and help fix it. Where you probably, if you sat down, you could figure it out yourself.
0: Yeah. Man, in my opinion, no truer words have ever been spoken. And I'll just straight up share with you this experience from the storm that came through eastern Iowa and knocked power out to our house. Right? When it went yeah. down, it didn't bother me as much as it bothered my wife. Like, she was gone. She's like, well, meh, I don't like that. I'm going to go to my mom's and I'm taking the kids with me. And, and here I am going, man, I like, I don't mind this like no electricity, no problem. Right. Uh, found ways to flush the toilet. Right. Found ways. Obviously we had to have a generator um, to hook up the, uh, the freezer. So I didn't lose all my venison. But if a guy says, well, Hey man, I dare you to go live out in the, the woods for a month or, or, without electricity for a month or whatever, I'd be like, uh, bring it on. Like that to me sounds exciting.
1: Yeah. It was, it's interesting. It's, you know, and I, you know, talking about going back out West, you know, I've been fortunate to go on a couple elk hunts and it's been there. There's no service and I've never had more fun with my friends. Right. You know, right. It's just being in the back country or even just being on some of these ranches where, there is no internet there's no phone man it's the week goes by so fast it's the funnest thing all you do is talk about you share meaningful stories or you laugh at what happened and you know we don't need all this stuff that we have we just want
0: it yeah that's a fact man uh, like, overspending and just collecting stuff like and then when you realize when you realize some of this this uh you know just like you did when the power went out, man, I was talking to my neighbors. I was, you know, having conversations with my kids. I was outside playing with them more. I was doing all these things to connect to people instead of having my f- face buried in a phone. And yes, my business suffered a little bit, but still, there was so there. Oh man, the coolest thing, and I want to I want to hear what you have to say about this. The power down was down in all these cities across the area i looked up at the sky and you can see the milky way you can it's just the stars were so oh, vibrant yeah. that night what was it like at night out there
1: oh i mean well so the first half of the of the year so from about oh, that's May right. <laughs> until probably july i don't you didn't see many stars but then after i ended in like end of september and i had i actually went I kind of traveled around, and I actually went to Valdez, Alaska, where the oil spill was. Uh, One of my friends worked at a hotel there from college. I mean, super random. Um, His family owned a hotel there. I mean, just this tiny, I mean, I couldn't believe it. And so we went, so I went over there for like a month and just played around. And it started to get dark, you know, at four o'clock. And the but the stars. I mean, it looks like you reach up and touch them. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I never got to see any northern lights or anything. I don't think I was just in the right plane, but oh, I mean, do you even think back to when, you know when you go out west and look at the stars? It's yeah. unbelievable.
0: Yeah, there's something about that too. I don't like it gets you like when you when you when you can see the stars in the sky and it it just i don't know about you but when i look up there i go dude there's no way we're alone like like there's no way there's you can see in a you know a billion stars in the sky or whatever and you know that just man it's crazy it's just like there's how long it takes to get to one of these places and and just you start to just really open your mind up and, and actually use your brain to think about things that i don't know man it that's the hippie in me talking, I guess. Now, so, all right now,
1: yeah, you <laughs> just feel how small you are, too. <laughs> right?
0: Right. <laughs> so, when you when you end up leaving Alaska, and it's time to go back to do whatever it is that you were gonna do, um, what was it, what was kind of your next step in life, and then did that involve hunting? Because it sounded to me like Alaska kind of just lit that fire for you as as not necessarily hunting but just like the outdoors like relit it
1: yeah i i knew i wanted to stay out west i was just you know being from alabama and you know the southeast i mean i'm sure i don't know i mean there's no vistas there's no mountains there's no and i knew i wanted to stay out west for a while so i moved to new mexico i moved to santa fe new mexico um and I realized how fortunate I had been in, or well, not how I had been fortunate, but I never grasped the concept of public land until I moved to New Mexico. In Alabama, there's parts of public land. You know, the southeast, it's still getting kind of popular. It's very small. There's not much public land. There's little pockets of it. And I, I, I mean, I'm going to be honest, growing up, I never knew one person who hunted public land. I had no concept of what that was and whether, you know, that's a very privileged thing to say. But when I moved to New Mexico, I was like, well, I want to kill a mule deer. I have, you know, this, I want to kill a mule deer. And I realized how hard that is when you're just new to an area and there's everything's public land. And I drew an elk tag one year. I drew a mule deer tag. And I don't think I ever got even close. I mean, I just, I mean, for, you know, I had between work, you know, a couple days here and there, go out. But, you know, I never knew the grandeur of hunting the West as something I'd never learned. Yeah. In the desert. So. And it was just, it kicked my tail.
0: Yeah. Did you enjoy that part of it?
1: I loved it. Yeah. I loved it, you know, and I mean, I didn't know how to an elk I didn't know how to bugle I didn't know what they did we don't have elk over here you know but I just I remember I was on a camping trip in September and I was back I was backpacking in the country with some friends and I heard one bugle and I mean I absolutely my heart started racing I'm like oh my gosh what (laughs) is that that is the coolest thing I've ever heard and I have been addicted to it ever since
0: okay so while you were in uh, New Mexico, then uh, how how long were you there, and how many opportunities did you get to go out and and hunt?
1: Yeah, so I lived there for four years, and i I ran uh, for work. I I sold horses, so I traded equestrian horses for hunter jumpers for you know, for Olympic athletes. So I traveled a lot for work. Okay. And so I, I really didn't get to go as much as I wanted, but I would come home every year. Um, I'd fly back to Alabama for, we have an annual turkey hunt. So I get to turkey hunt a little bit back out, but I didn't get to as much as I wanted. And I think, you know, the outdoor adventure bucket was checked because out West you can walk out your back door in five minutes, go for a cool hike. You know, you can't get that over here. So I still got to be outside, but I didn't get to hunt as much. Okay. As I probably, looking back, would have wanted to.
0: Right. I mean, for me, and I, and I don't know about you now, but I make time to go hunt. Right. Like my if before I was working for myself, I made time to go hunting. My my PTO every year was dedicated to. X amount of weeks was for hunting, X amount of weeks was for family. So at that point, were you making time to go hunt or were you still letting your job kind of dictate what your schedule was?
1: I was still kind of letting my job dictate my schedule. I felt like kind of taking a year off after a, lot, you know, my Alaska was just purely for fun. Um, I kind of wanted to figure out, okay, what do I want to do? Um, and so, and I traveled a lot and, and I loved what I did. So I'd catch on the weekends or, but I wasn't using, you know, any sort of PTO to go on a vacation of hunting or anything. I'd more use kind of vacation to visit my family back, back South. Um, so I kind of would catch on the weekends or if I had a, a random afternoon, I could flip off into some public land and see if I could glass something up and go back to go back to the house and do it all over again.
0: Gotcha. So. Was it a, was it a priority, at that point? I mean, no, on, not, on a, yet. not yet. Not yet. Okay. It
1: wasn't until about. No, nope, we're getting there, but not yet.
0: Okay, so. New Mexico, right? After New Mexico, where do you go from there?
1: This is when a real shift changed. Um, I moved to Chicago.
0: Oh. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: I don't, I don't, I'm not going to sit here cause I know there's, uh, I have listeners that are probably, uh, from the Chicago area, but my wife, I've been to Chicago. It's, it is not my favorite town. I'll just put it to you that way.
1: Yeah. So I moved to Chicago and I had never lived in a big city. Yep. Um, and I got a fantastic uh, opportunity and I, you know, career wise and I, I couldn't turn it down. So I moved to Chicago and there was no hunting there I felt like there was no one like me. You know when it gets cold. My warmest stuff is camo. I mean, I have a camo beanie. You walk around the streets of Chicago, you know with a camo beanie on, and everyone's like, "What like <laughs> what is going on i mean you so I felt like an alien, you know all my friend- all the people I met there were city people, yeah. And there's, I mean, there's no time to hunt. It takes an hour to get outside the city to go even for a remote, not even remote, just a green hike. Yeah. So that's when I lived there for four years, three, yeah, three and a half, four years. And during that time I would come home. That's when I started using PTO to come down here Yeah. and being like, okay, I'm not, I cannot, this is not how I want the rest of my life to go. I can't get outside. I can't go hunting. It's it's a plane ride or a 10-hour drive to get to the farm to go hunting. No way.
0: Yeah. You're not the only person who experiences that because I've talked with several people that it takes an experience like that, being isolated from something, like hunting or the outdoors in a big city or in an environment where they don't even they don't have access to it right a job may take them there but then they realize like oh my god I I need to give this up for something else so what what was that like for you when when you ended up leaving Chicago or made the decision to leave Chicago to say god I got to get out of this place
1: yeah. So, I mean, I was working, you know, in the loop, I mean, right downtown. I mean, I took, you know, the train to work. I mean, I was like living the city life and I was like, I'm not happy. It won. It's cold there all the time. And I couldn't hunt. I, you know, everything was just so far away. And I said, I'm moving to Nashville. I have a lot of great friends here and, you know, opportunities to hunt and it was close enough to Alabama and, Ever since then, you know, I feel just like you're kind of speaking to earlier, when something gets taken away from you and you care about it, it comes back tenfold. And I have just been obsessed with bow hunting ever since then. So after Chicago, when I was 28, that's when I picked up a bow for the first time.
0: 28 years old. Uh, so mm-hmm. that's what, five years ago, you picked up a bow five for years the ago. first time. And... and
1: I never found hunting more exciting. That's so, oh, I'm obsessed.
0: That's so cool. Because like I went through a not in the same exact way, but I you know put hunting down for so many years and then picked up the bow and just was like, "Yes, like this is who I'm supposed to be." Right? I'm supposed to be if you're going to give me a title, exactly. my title is going to be bow hunter, right? And so when you get to Nashville, And what, what did that transition look like for you from living in Chicago to now getting to Nashville and saying, okay, I, I want to, did you just say, I want to try it? And then once you tried it, it, it hooked into you or did it take some time to kind of boil and say, you know, I really like this.
1: Yeah. So my best friend who, um, her whole family, they're bow hunters. And the farm that I have permission to hunt on, it's bow only. And so, you know, I moved down here and her her dad's like, yeah, you're welcome to hunt here anytime you want to, you know, uh, do you know how, do you have a bow? And I said, well, no, sir. And he goes, you better get one. I mean, there's never been a rifle shot fired on this farm. That's awesome. So, so, you know, it's like kind of, if you want to play the game, you better get a bow. And so I, I said well okay so I got a used bow and started shooting it and I'm like this is unreal (laughs) I mean even I remember shooting at a target in my backyard here I'm like this is the funnest thing I've ever done yeah I mean just, just it took to it you know it takes so much practice and time and I just took to it so naturally of like it's hard And the first, and I'm sure every bow hunter, whether they started young or older, the first time you sit in a, in a tree stand with just a bow and you see a deer at a hundred yards or 60 yards. And you're like, I can't even pick up my bow yet. Yeah. I'm like, this is wild.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. So did you have a, when it comes to bow hunting, did you have a mentor of sorts or was it something that you kind of taught yourself?
1: Yeah, I did. Um, so that family and, you know, her dad really, you know, helped me through it. You know, like this is what you need to get. These are all, you know, here's all the equipment. You need to get a target. You need to shoot. And, you know, kind of, you know, showed me how to adjust the sight. showed me all the Allen wrenches you need to get, you know, looking back, it's like to start, it is a very technical sport. And, And I, I praise people who just pick it up in their backyard and can teach themselves, you know, and having, and hanging out with this, this whole group of people who only bow hunts, you know, you all talk the lingo and I just would
0: listen and be
1: like, okay, okay. And I just shot every day. I mean, over and over and over. And? Finally, he said,
0: all right, I think you're ready.
1: And he said, you can hunt. You can hunt with a bow here.
0: Okay. And,
1: and so the first year, I don't know what happened. The I absolute I killed like eight does <laughs> and that was it.
0: <laughs> the the beast was unleashed is what it sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But
1: you know, the farm that I hunt, you know, and the places I have permission were very I mean it's mature only, you know, and so I, you know, i never heard of that. I mean, Alabama, no, he wouldn't shoot a little forky, but I never aged a deer on the hoof. Yeah. You know, I never was taught to do that. You know, by all means, you know, no, we weren't shooting any small deer, you know, my family or anything. But I never had to be like, how old is that deer? Nope, let him pass. Yeah. And so to kind of get grandfathered in and to learn that and then just kind of like, you know, it was like learning to ride a bike at 28 years old. Yeah. It's like, all right, you can take the training wheels off. All right, you've killed, because I had to kill five does with my bow before I could shoot a buck.
0: And that was the rule they that they gave you. Mm hmm. Okay.
1: So that took you one year, whether that took you two years, that was just the rule.
0: Okay. I like that so, rule okay. for some reason. I like Happy that. Dear. So once you, yeah. I want to back up just a sec. You mentioned that year you, you killed a lot of does. What was the experience? like for you, because when you were hunting previously down in Alabama, it was, it sounds like it was all gun, right? All gun, all gun. Okay. So you, you take the time to really learn bow hunting. You go out, you know, you get approval from your mentor who's giving you the, the ability to hunt on his property, the, the chance to hunt, right? You go out, you shoot your first doe what did that feel like from like an emotional standpoint?
1: Oh my gosh. I mean, I think I, I mean, I was shaking like I had shot the, you know, a 180 inch buck. <laughs> it was so, it was incredible. And just, you know, having to think of all the little sequences that I had assumed in my head and that, that came true, like, okay. I'm going to arrange every single tree so I can remember. And then all that falls out the window. I'm like, oh, my gosh, here she comes. Here she comes, you know. And I shot, and I actually put a really good shot on her. I remember it was that he said, no longer, he goes, don't mess up. Just shoot 30 yards or less for your first one. Just make yourself learn the right way. I said, okay, okay. And I shot, and I remember I sent the text, and I said, I just smoked one. You know, and it's, it's <laughs> unlike any other feeling i feel like and i still feel that way today yeah you know shooting something with your bow whether it's an armadillo it is the funnest thing you've ever done yeah
0: yeah and, and you can hear the excitement in your voice almost like a child right and yeah. here you are it takes
1: you back to that
0: i know i know and every year you shoot it you know every year you shoot a deer whether it's a doe or or a buck, I mean, this past year I ha- I didn't get the opportunity to shoot a doe, but I shot, you know, I I shot this this uh, this doe. Oh man, it's been two years now, and I was like giggly happy, you know, just this. Yes, like, I don't know, like I I I don't know about you, but when you shoot your bow or kill an animal with your bow. I'll say this: Does it make you feel like a badass? One hundred
1: percent. It's like,
0: oh yeah. It's just. I mean, badass. it makes you
1: feel like, man, I'm something. You know, like for that <laughs> one moment in time, I'm something. I'm somebody. Right. Look at me.
0: Right. Yeah, that's so cool. And then you know that that year you're, you know you you passed you passed the test you know to shoot that many does, and now here you are. um, chasing chasing bucks bow hunting has some sort of a learning curve and i think the more observant a person is and the more a a person pays attention to detail that dictates how they how big and steep that learning curve is right so over this past five year period what has been your learning curve uh towards hunting deer
1: yeah, I mean, I think for bow, being a go-hunter, you just like you were just saying, the details, learning, you know, their transition periods, you know, where where they bed, where they feed. You've got to be able to be on those spots and be ready and be so much more aware. You know, in a shooting house, you can move your hands, you can drink a Coca-Cola, you can, you know, you can eat a Reese's cup, I mean the learning curve of learning curve of learning to be st- so still and let something walk in front of you at less than 40 yards. That to me was the, the one that I really worked on. Cause the first couple of times, I mean, I would grab my bow too late. She'd blow hunts over. And I'm like, okay, you know, just to be prepared, you got, you got to think three steps ahead. I think that was the main thing when I, Started, and I still, by all means, do not have it figured out. And that's the fun part, because you can't perfect it. And so you're always striving to get better, to get better. And I just love that portion of bow hunting. It's just, you, any mistake, minute, it's over. Yeah. Especially to try and kill a mature buck. Yeah. I mean, oh gosh. Or to try and kill an elk with your bow. Are you kidding?
0: Yeah. So it's, it's almost like you have to continually, you know, it's like, well, failed here. Got to refine so I don't yeah. fail there again. Well, failed here this time. Got to refine. And also, mm-hmm. I have to remember what I did last time before that. So, you know, all these little things add up. Um, let me ask you this. Where where are you now compared to where you were five years ago as a bow hunter? And let's just take, take, take it from a whitetail hunter in, in Tennessee where okay. you currently hunt.
1: Yeah, I mean... In terms of I have so much more confidence, I don't feel like I have any more. I mean, I struggle with target panic at first. I don't know if that's, you know, I, I've heard a lot of people do. I would just punch that trigger because I would get so excited. You know, I'm like, okay, okay, here it is. Um, And I, I just feel like I'm so much more calm. And you kind of, you know, we all get our own, I feel like the, we get our own sequence of how you know the routine of okay i'm gonna here's my target, I'm gonna shoot this animal, and I'm gonna draw back you know you get into like you know kind of like a cadence in your mind, kind of like I remember shooting a free throw but did the same thing every time to shoot a free throw the same way, muscle memory, and so with a bow hunting, you know okay i okay, I've got my kisser button, okay, I've got here. I just feel like I have such more of a sequence and that little confidence of like I can do that, right. you know, and I personally. I don't shoot over forty yards, forty-five yards at a, at a whitetail. I just don't. Yeah. There's no, there's no knock on it. You know, I just don't feel confident for me to potentially take the life of an animal shooting over forty-five yards. Yeah. I think there's a lot of room for error, and I mean, and I don't shoot a woman's bow. I shoot. I have a twenty-nine inch draw length, and I pull sixty-five pounds. So there's no animal. You know, my friend who, yeah. Do I?
0: <laughs> You're an animal. Yeah. I can barely pull. Yeah, I mean, I am I'm six
1: I mean, I'm, I'm, 6'3". I mean I'm, oh, a, okay. I'm a tall person. Yeah. So, you know, I have a I my friend who hunts. You know, she pulls forty five pounds and has a twenty five inch draw length. You know, so she, de- you know, it's not that I ha- I can't shoot a far shot at all. Um, I just I like that. Like, okay, forty five and in.
0: Okay. It's just
1: it's really, it just makes it that much harder to me.
0: Yeah. Keep it tight. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. Well then that's awesome. Uh, so now you're five years into bow hunting, right? You've harvested some animals. What does, what does the next five years or 10 years or, or, you know, further on down the line look for look like for you as a bow hunter. Do you have any goals you're trying to accomplish?
1: Yeah. So, um, I've been looking at, you know, I really want, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have permission on a lot of places, you know, and there's a lot of team effort going to those places. And I, you know, probably, probably won't going to get into too much over my head, but I want my own little farm, you know, little hundred acres. And I've been looking at trying to get some within an hour here. I want to see if I can do it by myself. Like, can I go pick the stand placement that only I want? You know, yeah. when we have permission you hunt with family and friends, you know, it's a group effort. And I love that part of it. It feels like a team. Um, but I wonder if I can, you know, go do it myself. Like, could I, could I pick the right pinch point? Could I figure out, you know, where these deer are bedded or, and I, that's, that's what I want, um, is the challenge of having a little project farm.
0: Yeah. That's awesome because that to me tells you you're serious about uh, educating yourself and becoming a better hunter, right? Not just going through the motions, so to speak. It's like, it's part of evolution, right?
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. That's so cool. Um,
1: and trying to figure out, you know, and, you know, I did, you know, and keep elk hunting and, you know, try and maybe go kill a moose or, you know, go go, go to a different part to hunt whitetail somewhere else you know, i've hunted in kentucky a little bit um but you know i put in for Iowa every year i have not drawn yet maybe it's coming they say on the fifth or sixth year it, it comes but uh still haven't drawn one you know just be able to go hunt somewhere else
0: yeah absolutely man that's so cool well lucy i'm i'm sure we could sit here and chit chat for a while longer but I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and, ch- and chat with us and share your story and uh, man good luck this upcoming fall man hopefully uh, once September hits uh, you hit the ground uh, running and you uh, and you connect on whatever you want to connect on.
1: Absolutely you too Dan and good luck to all everyone out there and uh, yeah I've definitely got the deer it being able to hunt this weekend I'm looking forward to seeing all the pictures on Instagram and following everybody
0: and hopefully everyone has a good season and there you have it ladies and gentlemen that brings us to the end of another Nine Finger Chronicles podcast be sure to subscribe to Sportsman's Nation Whitetail Feed Sportsman's Nation Big Game Feed Sportsman's Nation Fishing Feed or you can just subscribe to the Nine Finger Chronicles if that's the only one you want to listen to but I strongly recommend uh, listening to all of Of the podcast within the Sportsman's Nation uh, umbrella. Lots of great content there. Huge shout out to all of the partners at the Nine Finger or that support the Nine Finger Chronicles Ozonix, Vortex, Wasp, Lone Wolf, and the Average Conservationist. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please follow me on social media Sportsman's Nation and Nine Finger Chronicles. Be good to your neighbor go out and enjoy mother nature it can freaking heal your powers and uh man have a good one thanks for listening and we'll talk to you when we talk to you